Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Turn with me to Luke 8. We'll start there. Thank you, Tony and Karin, for your words. It's awesome to see them up there. supposed to see that yet. All right, in Luke 8, I'm going to start in verse 42b and then through 48. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter asked. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could no longer go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So, kind of what's going on here is there's this woman who had been sick and been bleeding for 12 years. And no doctor could heal her. You can kind of imagine the, you get your hopes up. Maybe this is it. Maybe I'll get better. And it comes crashing down. She spent all the money she had. She's probably pretty broken. It was, it was a desperate situation, and, and here she surmises up the courage to go see Jesus, and she gets there, and there's this massive crowd. And to top it off, Jesus was already in a hurry from right before this to save another sick girl. Time was of the essence. Jesus had to get there. You know, the odds of this woman getting to Jesus, it didn't look very good, right? It was tough. There's little hope. It was a desperate situation. Can you guys think of a time that you've been in a desperate situation? Your, uh, your back was up against the wall. It didn't look like there's any, any solutions. You know, my, my brother, about 10 years ago, was just a regular day. He was, he was walking home from school with my sister. And he was, a, he was a fifth grade at the time, but he wasn't your average fifth grader. He had like a mustache working. And <laughs> Connor knew him. He was like a man child. And... Um, <laughs> He goes up, and, and he's walking home, and there's this basketball hoop. And he goes up, kind of his, his ritual every day, he'd go up and he'd touch, touch the net, because you see how close he could get to touching the rim. Fifth grade, almost getting the rim. It's crazy. But he was hitting the net. And so he did this every day, just, uh, just another day. And, but today was different, and he goes up, and he jumps up, and he gets as high as he ever got. And he hits the net, but he feels something in his hand. You guys saw that. Um, and he's like, what? What happened? So he quick takes his left hand, and he grabs the net, and he's and he's hanging there, and he and he brings his left hand up where he grabs the rim, and he's able to look at his hand, and there's a hook, there's a fishing hook, in his hand. Apparently, someone had, I don't know how it happened, but they got a fishing hook in the net. So he's hanging there, and he's kind of freaking out, and he yells, at "My sister, go run home, go get mom and dad." 
So my sister, my little, you know, six-year-old sister, runs home as fast as she can, freaking out, runs inside, Mom, Dad! They're like, what's going on? And, and so Bryce is hanging there. And as more time goes by, he's getting more tired, right? And he's trying to, like, bring his legs up where maybe he can get on the backboard so we can, like, have his legs and be able to get him the hook out. But if you think about it, his hand is holding himself up and sturdying himself. And as he would bring his right hand up to try to get the hook out, it would come with him. And so he didn't have any leverage to get the hook out. And as he's hanging there, he's getting more and more tired. And he says it felt like he was, like, up there for an hour. It's probably, like, 45 seconds. But time was going by, and he was freaking out. It was a, it was a desperate situation. So eventually, this is what happens. So it worked now. I won't keep it up there for long. It 12 stitches. It's my first, like my first time using PowerPoint. Here we go. 12 stitches, so that's before, and that's after. And he falls down, and the hook rips all the way through his hand. And he runs home, and he's screaming, Mom, Dad, Mom! Mom's like, what, what, what? Oh my gosh! And there's blood everywhere. He like they put a towel around him. He just soaked through this whole towel. And they rush him to the ambulance, and I won't keep that up. You have to look at that. Um, and and 12 stitches later, he gets it fixed. But so we we love to talk about this, and and the way he describes it, he's like, I went through every single possibility in my head on how to fix that problem. Now you name it, I was there. Get my legs up there. Get a friend. I was yelling for help. I was thinking if I could like get someone so I could get on their like shoulders and that could, that could get some leverage. And but my sister was too short and she couldn't support his weight. So eventually, the only solution he exhausted all their options. He just had to fall. That was the only solution left. And he hates talking about because he remembers the pain. But this is exactly where the woman was as well. That was her only solution. This was her her last ditch effort. It was do or die. This Jesus guy, I'm all in. I've exhausted everything. I've seen all these doctors. It's been 12 years. Jesus, what's her only hope? For her, if she didn't get to Jesus, she may have died. Just literally do or die. I was thinking about this. It's no different for us, is it? You know, whether it's a year whether it's 20 years, whether it's 50 years, if you don't connect to Jesus, it's do or die. Without Jesus, we're doomed. It's kind of hard to think. We don't naturally think that way. At least I don't. But do you see it this way? What is your eternal situation like? I think the problem is, the reason we don't see it this way is we don't see our situation as desperate. Right? We think life is good. Not necessarily desperate. In Revelation 3, speaking of the church in Laodicea, it says, You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, the fact of the matter is, without Jesus, we're lost. We're lost. And it's kind of a sober reality. It's not the funnest thing to talk about. But it's true. I have to remember, without Jesus, I'm wretched, pitiful, 
poor, blind, and naked. But, but if you don't see a problem, there's really no reason to act, right? If you don't see the gravity of the situation, there's no reason to act. You know, last week, Willie, Willie talked about some sobering facts about our society. Talking about mental illness, talking about suicide rates, sexual abuse. It's scary, but that's, that's the state that our world is in without Jesus. It's dire. And it's desperate. And the situation, the problem is sin. You know, imagine for a second that the way you treat sin, if that's the way God treated it. So many times I can be like, you know, my sin's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad compared to so-and-so. At least I'm not so-and-so. What if Jesus treated sin that way? You know, it's not that big of a deal. I don't need to send my son for it. We wouldn't have a chance. What if God approached sin the way that you did? It's a dire and desperate situation. You know what Satan wants is he wants you to be comfortable, to not see it as a big deal. Satan's like, dude, you got your nine to five. You, you worked hard on your degree. You even got a master's. You deserve to relax. You got that fancy degree. You, you got a nice car. You got a 401k built up. Got a big house. Maybe people are starting to look at you like, ooh, Mr. Schmidt. And you kind of like that. That hasn't happened. Maybe that prestigious position, and, and you're starting to, starting to like it. Maybe you're on the dean's list, or you're in that fraternity or sorority. In Revelation, Jesus is saying, wake up. What does it matter? Value the things that you can take with you to heaven. You know, there was one time where I was growing up and I was getting ready for like a homecoming dance and I needed a green tie to match my date's outfit. And I had to have this green tie because if I didn't match my date's outfit, everyone else is matching their date's outfit and I would not look right. This is my, I was all in my head about this. And in my parents' financial situation, my dad's in real estate and the, the bubble had just burst and it was like 09 and... It was tough, and we just didn't have the money for a tie at the time. I had other colors that I could have worn, but I needed a green tie. And I threw a fit, and, and my parents were like, I, we just don't have the money. Sorry, we can't make it happen. And I was like, why? Like, all my other friends have this. Why can't we just, it's like 10 bucks, mom and dad. Aren't you supposed to, like, provide for me? This is where I was at. <laughs> One day I think that's going to come back and bite me when I become a parent. Like, God remember those things. But I'll never forget what my parents said. They said, Brett, and they're hurt by that. They want to help me, provide for me. They said, Brett, we're rich in the ways that matter. And I'll never forget that, because whenever I start thinking about money or other things, I can remember, am I rich in the ways that matter? Are you rich in the ways that matter? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter your 401k, it doesn't matter your car, it doesn't matter how the church building looks, but this looks great, by the way. It's awesome. But what matters is if you get to heaven and bring as many people with you. That's what matters. Satan doesn't want you to think that way. He wants to think on the, the present, on the daily worries. God says, step back, see the 3,000-foot view. 
Look past the facade, wake up, and see how desperate the situation is. Are you rich in the ways that matter? I love that. I love that my parents instilled that in me, and I'm so grateful for that. Next point is desperate faith. So, this woman, she goes and she sees the situation, and she sees how dire it is, but then she acts on it, right? She has the faith to act on it. Have you guys heard about that story of the, the cave in Thailand? Those boys that are trapped in there? So I was doing some research into this, and basically what had happened is there's a, there a soccer team, I think 12 boys and their coach, that they're in a cave in Thailand, and, and they wandered into this cave before it had rained, and it starts to rain, and they get trapped inside this cave. And I've got a picture up here. There you go. There's a lot there. But they went to this cave, and they got trapped. And they're there for nine days before they could find where these kids are. So imagine the parents, like, where are my kids for a week? And they're search teams, and they find them. But the situation was so tough was, if you can see there, they walk all through that, but the water came up. So there are places where there's zero visibility, and they can't get back. And in some parts, there'd be a hideout where it was a higher elevation, but the lower elevations were all filled with water. They're, so they're essentially trapped in there. And, and the people who are saving them have to devise all these strategies. Well, how can, I, how can I get these kids out? And what they decide on the best way is to have a, a two-person diving team per, per kid. And what's crazy is what they did was because it was so, you know, there's a case of claustrophobia and they don't want the kids to freak out. When they brought them back was they would, they would incapacitate the kids, so they'd knock them out. And then what they did is they put an oxygen mask on them. And they, they had this, from the very beginning of the cave to where the kids were, they had this rope that would guide them back home. And there was also a rope, a tether, attached to the two divers. So this diver, imagine this diver, you're holding an oxygen tank, sometimes two, if you're the back guy, because you're holding it for the, the kid. And then you're connected by a rope, and there's this kid that's just dead weight, and you're guiding him through this cave, completely underwater at certain points. And I was reading, and, and one of the biggest fears by some of these divers is that they would hit one of these rocks here, see this little narrow part, and the kid's mask would become unlodged, and they'd drown. So they're so careful. They're meticulously going through this, and they've got to consider you know, my own life is at risk as well here. There's actually a diver that died because he ran out of oxygen, and he sacrificed his life for these kids. Can you imagine the calling your, your family and saying, hey, I may not come back to this, but i got to help these kids. i got to save them. I think it was like a, a Thai Navy SEAL team that did most of it. Zero visibility at points. It was so muddy. They'd spend hours in these tight spaces. You know, a quote from another, he was a British cave diver, says, I've never done anything as risky as that, and I don't think I ever will again. But it was the only option we had, and we took it. It was the only option we had, and we took it. Same with this woman. It's the only option I got, and I'm going to take it. i got to get to Jesus, no matter what, and I'm taking it. Amen. What about you? Is that your only option, or are you kind of playing the field? Is seeking Jesus 
your do or die? Is it everything? Or is oh, I'll try some other stuff first. What's it going to take for you to get there? What would it look like if you were desperate in your approach to Jesus? How would your life change? What would your marriage look like? What would the way you share your faith look like? What would your parenting look like? Because I guarantee you, those kids notice. I noticed those things that my parents said. I'm so grateful for them. Imagine for a second that you had that you had a camera crew follow you around for any given day this past week. Say just a Tuesday, right? And there's just this camera crew. And it was unbeknownst to you that you had no idea this camera crew was following you. It's like you're on an episode of The Office, right? And, and you're walking through, and you just go throughout your day, a normal day. And then afterwards, they take the tape, and they give it to like a 10-person focus group. And, and they have them rank your priorities on a scale of 1 to 10. And they have no idea who you are, never met you before. And they just rank based on your day. What are your priorities? What would they be? Started thinking about this. I'm like, well, I hope they think I'm a Christian and God and all that stuff. But man, how would they see that? Well, they'd have to see me read my Bible in the morning. They'd have to see me talking to people, sharing my faith. They'd have to see me getting one-on-one deep discussions, discipling times with people, talking about our lives. On an average Tuesday, say Tuesday this past week, what would they see in your life? Kind of crazy. Purely based on the time that you spend. Not the thoughts that you think, just your actions and the time that you spend. What would your life show? Man, I hope that for me, that they would see that I value God above all else. That I, that I wake up and I have my quiet time and that I, I, I'm on my knees and I'm praying and maybe before it's even light outside. But that's not always the case. I hope they'd see that, that I prioritize meeting with the body over everything else. Going to church. Getting time with other Christians. Because if I don't have that, I'm not going to make it. Would they see that in you? I can't tell you how many championship Sunday morning baseball games I missed. Because mom and dad said, we got to go to church. It's the championship game. My teammates were like, why in the world are you not here? You're here all Saturday. And they always put the stinking championship games on Sunday morning. And it annoyed the heck out of me. But I never got to go to him because mom and dad stood for him and said, we're going to church. And I look back at that and I'm like, I'm so grateful for it. Rich in the ways that matter. Would they see you sharing your faith? Inviting your coworkers out to church? Reaching out on campus? Or just telling someone how much Jesus changed your life? What would they see? Kind of a scary thought. Makes it real a little bit. But I'm afraid that a lot of us are we're Christians in our mind, and we think about it, but we're not Christians in our actions. If someone really saw our lives, man, if, if someone followed around Jesus, people were all the time, everything he did would be about God. What about you? In Matthew 7, in verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a foolish man, is like a foolish man, who built his house on the sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know the difference between the two foundations, the rock and the sand? It's that one, they both heard it, one put it into practice, and the other didn't. One did it. There was action. And the other didn't. If you have desperate faith, it shows in your life. You see it. People are like, this dude's different. I love when you're studying the Bible somewhere after someone gets baptized and, and they go home and then they come back and they're like, man, I went and talked to my parents and, and they're like, I, you're different, son. Or you talk to your friends and they're like, you're different. And I hear them like, heck yeah, you're different. Let's go. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're a changed person. You're studying the Bible. You're repenting. You're changing. That pumps me up. Better believe you're different. Are you still different? Are you still changing? Even if you've been a disciple 10, 20 years, still got to repent of stuff. Still got to change. Still got to be molded. Love that. Are you different? You know, this woman saw her desperate situation. She saw the need. But then it led her to action. It led her to change. And when you see the need of the situation, it leads you to have that desperate faith. The last point is steadfast desperation. Now you see the desperate situation, then you act on it with faith. But the next is, can you keep it up, right? Are you consistent? Are you steadfast? I, I hang out with a lot of the guys in the campus ministry, and, and they're so funny because we'll, something will pump them up, and they're like ready to run through a brick wall. And they're like, let's go. And they're pumped up. And then the next day, it's like, dude, you woke up at noon, and you didn't do anything. And we can be so high and so low, and pumped up one day, then the next day, it's just like, oh. I think the girls are maybe, at least in the campus ministry, let's get a little more mature. Um, they're a little better at that than the guys. And I love how the guys get pumped up, but sometimes here, it's like, I'd rather just be here. The highs are a little maybe less high, but the lows are definitely a lot higher than the lows. And, and it's funny how that goes, and we're growing in that as a campus ministry. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but are you consistent? Are you steadfast? When a situation is desperate, are you going to stick in there and hang through? Yeah. No, steadfast it means to be resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. And when I think of this idea of being steadfast, I, I would be remiss if I, I just think of Nick Riveras. I think of this past year. Um, if you don't know Nick, like, his dad passed away in the spring. And um, he, I'm grateful because he had every reason to falter in his faith. Every reason to, to question, why God? Why is this happening to me? As he's, as he's seeing his dad die of cancer and take away his life, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But then he came back and we're expecting to have to take care of him and, and we did, but Nick was taking care of others. Nick was even stronger in his faith because of it. 
He was steadfast. And, and so many people have shared in the campus ministry how that has motivated them. And if Nick can do it through that tough time, I can do it. I love you, Nick. Appreciate you. You're a hero, man. Because he was steadfast. No matter how hard life got, Nick was steadfast. And if, if you've been a disciple for <laughs> more than a few days or for a few weeks, you realize that it's hard sometimes. Yeah. It's tough, right? Yeah. It's not all peaches and cream, rainbows, and all that stuff. It's tough. It's great. It's awesome. But it's hard sometimes. If you've been a Christian for over 10 years, can you raise your hand? Look at that. If you've been a Christian over 20 years, can you raise your hand? Wow. You guys are the heroes. You guys are awesome. Because when I see that, I see that you guys have been through storms and tough times in life that I haven't gone through. Maybe I never will go through. But you've stuck through it. And if you've ever felt unappreciated in any way, I'm sorry, but you guys really are the heroes. We look up to you, and we're so grateful of your steadfast faith, that you push through, and and storms come, and times come that are hard, but you keep grinding. And I hope that us younger Christians can take your example. And I hope one day, years in the future, I can raise my hand when someone asks, who's been a Christian for 20, 30 years? I can raise my hand. I can be proud of it. It's my dream. So I appreciate you guys. Turn with me to James 1. James 1, I read in verse 12. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. You know, recently we just had, the campus ministry, we just had ICMC. It was awesome, right? You guys had a good time? It was awesome. People were fired up. Uh, there were just, there's so many takeaways from the conference. There was a, there was a point where Saturday night, I, just, I keep going back to this, is where everyone kind of came in, and we just we had a worship night. And everyone just sang. We worshiped. And, and, I mean, imagine 2,200 people, and they even had us bring it in the, the hallways here. And then it was just like a... Just a time to raise our voices to God. And I remember thinking, man, this, is, this has got to be what, what heaven is going to be like one day. This is awesome. I was pumped up. And our group chat was blowing up afterwards. And people were like, I'm going on campus. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to change your life. And we stayed an extra day. And we're reading this stuff on the group. And it's like, this is, this is cool. I love this. But I, but I couldn't help to think that you know, it's not always going to be that easy. You won't always be on an ICMC high, so to speak. When you are, it's great, ride the wave. But it won't always be that way. 
a lot of the teens just went to camp. You still on your camp high? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. And it gets tough when, when you go back to school and you go back to high school and, wait, all these other people aren't just as fired up as I am? They aren't Christians like me? They don't have the same convictions? It's really hard. It won't always be high. It won't always be easy and convenient. But the true test is when you stick through it in those times. And it's really easy to come to Jesus when it's convenient. When, every, when life is good, when everyone else is doing it, when Rain's reaching out and Rain's like, hey, Brett, you want to go reach out? Okay, man, yeah, I'll go reach out. Bro, you the one starting that. What about when things get tough? Will you persevere? For this woman, the, the treatments didn't work. She'd get her hopes up and they'd get crushed. Twelve years of that cycle. Hopes getting up, getting crushed. Hopes getting up, then they're crushed. Be taxing. She still went to Jesus, though. And it changed her life forever. Will you be steadfast? Will you be steadfast in your desperation? You know, in, in sports, the, the desperate team is the one that's scary because they're willing to do whatever it takes, right? You don't want to mess with the desperate team or the desperate player because they're feisty, they, they scratch and claw for the victory, and they may not be the most talented in the world, but it's like, I do not want to face that team because I'm going to be so tired and beat up after the game. It's the same way with Satan. He's terrified of a desperate Christian. He's terrified of it. Because if you're willing to scratch and claw for your salvation and your walk with God, that scares Satan to death. Satan's terrified of someone that sees how dire and desperate the situation is. Someone that desperately pursues Jesus. And someone that's steadfast in their approach to Jesus. He's terrified. You know, in a crowd that size on that day with this woman, I'm willing to bet that there were other sick people, right? That there are other people that are probably looking at Jesus and, you know, I could go to him and I could touch him and be healed, and, but some didn't. That woman that day was the one who left healed. No matter how much she works, she put through it. Imagine her pushing through people and she's probably frail and she just gets an edge of his cloak. She's the one who left heal that day. Her faithful desperation led her to healing. And at the end, Jesus says, go in peace. Imagine what that peace felt like. Isn't peace nice? Oh, peace. That's what she felt. Peace. I want to close with this last little point. It's probably my favorite of all. Let's read Luke 8, 44 through 48 again. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could no longer go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. 
go in peace. My favorite part about this story is that Jesus noticed her. Of all the people, Jesus noticed. She's pushing through. She's fighting to get to Jesus. And imagine her. She's, she reaches out, just like this picture here, and she just touches his cloak. And Jesus noticed it. That, and, and, and Peter's like, Jesus, I don't mean to state the obvious here, but everyone's touching you, dude. But like, no, Jesus, someone was different. Will you be the different touch? Will you be the one that truly connects to Jesus? Not just going to church, not just sitting in the, the pews, but really connecting to Jesus like this woman did. When everything else, when the practicals in life say no, when the logistics say you can't do that, she could have gone back home and someone that she lived with would be like, hey, hey Beth, how'd it go? Oh, there's this big crowd and I couldn't make it. Oh, yeah, yeah, makes sense. She didn't take no for an answer though. She went and she touched Jesus and Jesus noticed. The creator of the universe noticed her. Even though he had something to do, even though he's busy about to save this girl's life, he brings her back from the dead. Jesus noticed. And I hope that encourages you as you go throughout this week. We've talked about desperation and seeking Jesus. But if you take one thing away, I hope that you know that, that if I truly and wholeheartedly go after my relationship with God, that it won't be in vain, that Jesus will notice. If I seek God and seek him with all my heart, that's the surefire way. And I hope that encourages you to be desperate in the way you approach Jesus, just like it does me. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. I'm so grateful for, for stories in the Bible like this that, that show us how to, to go after a relationship with you, God. Um, I pray that we can be desperate in, in the way we, in how we're faithful and the way we approach you, and that if we just get the edge of your cloak, that you'll, just, you'll feel us and you'll connect to us and you'll hear our cries, God. I love you. I'm, I'm grateful for this room. I'm grateful for the people in this room that, that love me and invest in me and I pray that I can live my life for you and wholeheartedly seek after you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.